0: Does your involvement and your intentionality in the things of the gospel, things of community, things of being on mission, do those come first? Because a lot of times a sacrifice is going to need to be made. Watch what you sacrifice. Watch how easy it is to sacrifice your intentionality in the things of the gospel in order to enlarge your side of the story, in order to make yourself look big. It's tough. It's tough. Sometimes we could be too big in our own little soap opera. And it's always awkward, isn't it? You know, it's like going to a birthday party. And imagine the candles are lit, everybody's singing, and then the wrong dude jumps in and just blows all the candles out. And the room gets silent. You look and go, it's not your birthday, man. That's for the dude that just turned one year older and you just blew and spit all over the cake and blew all the candles out. I mean, tackle that guy. You know what I'm saying? It's awkward. It doesn't even look right. What about a wedding, right? What, what, what happens when the wrong person wants to be the central role in a wedding? Bridesmaids? Do you ever try to one-up the bride on that day? Is that the day to one-up the bride? No, it's not. No, it's not. What about funerals? Right? You get the me monster, wants everyone to know his story. This is all about me, me, and mine, and I did this, and it was all about me. And it's... it's It's a commemoration of someone's death. You see how awkward that looks? It's awkward. But on a cosmic scale, we can be guilty of doing that very same thing. On a cosmic scale, we're taking what is the center, shifting it to the periphery so we could be big in the middle. We can be the star role. We could be the star character. Man, Ananias, Sapphira, they thought the same thing you and I do. If we just jig here a little bit, jag over there, we can get them to think this of me right? It will improve my status. If that's you, you're already beginning that lifestyle of being out of sync. And some of you know, now listen, I was this guy, okay, so I'm allowed to preach on it. Some of you know that outside, when you're Christ, or I'm sorry, let me, let me say it again, when your life is outside of Christ, and Christ is not the central role, you know that your story, all alone, It stinks. No one's impressed, right? They're not infatuated with you. And you know it. So what you do is you lie, right? You, you add things to your story so that they like you better. So that they think more of you. You want them to think that you're a little bit more exciting? So you add a little bit of adventure, you know? You want to exaggerate your stories a little bit. Add a little bit here. Take away a little bit there. You want them to think that you're more adventurous? So you put a, I don't know, a bike rack on your car. A lot of stickers or something. You know, get a, get a North Face jacket, you know, or whatever. Listen, if you have a North Face jacket, I'm sure they love you here at VFC. Welcome. It's good to have you. <laughs> I, just, I just nailed like half the audience in that. Listen, I'm the backup quarterback anyway. I mean, I'm not even in this deal. You know what I'm saying? This is Mike's. And so if you're new and, and you don't like any of this or it's too controversial, just come back next week. <laughs> but now the reason if, if this is you like it is me, And you're uncomfortable with this fake image. You're not uncomfortable because your stories aren't good. You're uncomfortable because you're telling a story that's all about you. And you weren't designed to do that. Right? That's why you're uncomfortable. And inside you're truly struggling with the fact that people like you, but it's not really you that they like. It's an exaggerated form, right? And that always makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. So I just want you to face it. This is what I had to do with myself. I just look in the mirror and say, face it, Luke. Without Jesus in your story, your story is not that much fun to listen to. It's not about you. This is, hey, you young aspiring preachers, this is always a crowd winner, right? Going to a room and tell people it's not about them. It's a hard message, but it's not about you, folks. It's not about you. You're not the middle. You're not the center. You're not the anchor. You're not the star. It's not about you. Some of you who are not Christians in here tonight, and you know that. You're self-aware enough to know that. Some of you who are not Christians, you know what I'm talking about. You are the leading character in a really crappy story, right? Some of you are Christians, and you know what I'm talking about, and you are the leading character in a really crappy story (laughs) because it's all about you. Now, the reason I'm doing this is because we are Ananias and Sapphira in many regards, aren't we? Look at that story again. Anytime you read a story in the Bible or a parable, even the difficult ones, try to put yourself in there and see which character you end up being. When I read this, I see a little bit of Ananias and Sapphira in me. In me, right? It's in all of us. Now, I want to look at a little bit God's judgment in this. This is the second thing I wanted to look at. God's judgment, it looks a little steep, doesn't it? the wrath he's exhibiting in this moment, doesn't it seem a little, I don't know, overly abundant? Doesn't it seem a little full? It does to me. It feels like he's overcompensating a little bit. Like he's throwing a temper tantrum. You know? Like he's trying to do something to be heard. Like punching a wall or kicking something or screaming. He's just having a bad day. That's what it looks like. I mean, Why? Why? <laughs> Why did they get more than they deserved? That's the question we really boil this down to. Now you're going to feel a little ripped off right now. I'm sorry for that. I'm not really going to answer that question. Why did they get more than they deserved? I want to submit a better one. Okay? Why don't we always get what we deserve? Why don't we always get what we deserve? I want to submit that why don't we all get what we deserve when we lie and cheat and steal and draw glory to ourselves just like Ananias and just like Sapphira did? rather than ask repeatedly over and over again why God was so seemingly harsh with them, I want to ask the question, why isn't He that seemingly harsh with me? With you, right? Because we look at God's judgment and His wrath in the Bible, don't we? But don't we look at that and we, and we just kind of feel a little awkward inside? Inside we're like, gosh, God, I mean, I love You and all, but pump the brakes a little. I mean, calm down. Take a nap. I mean, it's a little... That's a little crazy. It feels like it. I will tell you, the more I've become a Christian since when I was a sophomore, junior in college, the longer I've lived, the more I've felt God's grace and His love totally despite me, I've come to learn that His grace is so steep, His love is so steep, that if He overcompensates in any direction, in any department, it's in His love and it's in His grace. It's not in His wrath or His judgment. I want to prove it. I want to talk about the cross a little bit. The cross is this incredible moment in human history because there was a massive collision between God's utter and total justice right, being served and God's total and utter love being demonstrated all at the same time. One didn't outpace the other. One wasn't more than the other. It wasn't like there was more love than justice or a little bit more justice than love. They weren't fighting or jockeying. For they were equal in stature in that instant on the cross. That's important. That cross, that place where the judge came to be judged, where the creator came to be destroyed, right? We see on the cross this punishment, right? It was aimed at you, aimed at me, it was dumped and it was emptied on the cross. And let me just tell you here at this cross is where justice needed to be served. It had to be served, it demanded to be served, or else God would not be just. God, he, he was totally just, so it had to be met. If punishment was not totally spent, then God wouldn't be totally just. That's the physics of the cross. Right? Now, Jesus receives this punishment, not for being Jesus. He receives it for being you. He receives it for being me. Right? If ever God was seemingly harsh, if ever He Seemingly obliterated what was right in front of him. It was in that moment on the cross. It was right there. And let me tell you, Jesus did not deflect this punishment like with some. He didn't like take a pill and make it not hurt as much. He didn't like stick up a shield and deflect the punishment. He didn't work out a little side deal with God. Hey, God, if you just take a little bit of the edge off of this, I'm sure I'll be fine. He absorbed all of it. He he didn't deflect punishment, he took it. Man, he absorbed it. And justice was met. Now, With that, love was also demonstrated to the same degree at the same high fever pitch. Love was there, right? Because not only is God just, God is love and He's totally love. Love was satisfied in the fact that it was done for you. Totally despite you. It wasn't done for you on those days that you performed well, but on those days where you were a troll. You know? Where you kicked the dog and you flipped off the neighbor. (laughs) I'm the only one that's done that, okay. But on those days, you have to understand that before God poured the first ocean, before he named the first star, before there was a first, he saw your life, saw every action from the day that you were born to the day that you will die, all the bad things that you've ever thought, that you forgot that you thought, every bad thing that you've ever done, every good thing you didn't do, everything, he saw that, and still he said, I'm going to rescue that one. I'm going to rescue that person. That's love right there. That's love. Because in my worst moment, He did not abandon me. You see, I belong on that cross receiving judgment. I belong there. I belonged in that place receiving God's wrath. But He stood in the way and He did it on purpose. Listen to me on this. Okay, here, this is a little sidebar. This is for free. Don't pity Jesus. Don't feel sorry for Jesus. It's not a victim. That wasn't an accident. Okay? He didn't trip into the cross. Wasn't accidental. He didn't force Gump his way up on the cross, right? He tackled it. He had an intensity about him. There was a purpose about him because he knew he was collecting a family into nobility. He was adopting you into a royal branch. He was taking what was disordered and mad and depressed. And angry and anxious, and everyone was separate and lonely and depressed and doing their own thing according to their own wisdom, all scattered. He came and he collected us and brought us under one banner, which was Jesus Christ. Just like, just like he showed us in creation, making something ordered out of total chaos, he did it again as he was on mission and came into mankind. So I'm not feeling sorry. I'm glad I worship Jesus. But listen, he's not a victim. Okay? He was murdered, he was not a victim. Okay? It's important that you know that. I don't know why I threw that in. Um, But whenever I look at this judgment and this love, it helps me because I look at passages like today. Right? Acts 5. I trust here that God did not blow His gasket and fritz out. I trust here that that didn't happen and He didn't overreact because when He had a right to do it with me, He didn't. When He had a right to overreact... Invent on me and punch a wall and throw a tent. When he had a right to do that on me, he didn't. He didn't abandon me. When he could have waxed me and killed me, he didn't do it. He could have given me what he deserved, and he did not do that either. He didn't have to swap his righteousness for my total sleaze. He did not have to do that. So, yes, his judgment is extreme. His grace is very extreme, right? Yes, his wrath, it can freak us out, but his grace, can't it be intoxicating? Can it be fascinating? Yes, my performance, it's junk, and it can draw some discipline from God, but Jesus' performance made me a son. Made me a son. We could see them both at the same time. So before you cast your vote on whether God is too wrathful in a moment, remember the cross and let it remind you of the ever-present love that cannot even be measured. It cannot even be measured. So, when you understand that God is the center of the story, And you're not, because it's not about you, right? There's a beautiful story, narrative, redemptive, it's beautiful, it's big, and you're not in the middle of it. Jesus is. So whenever you understand that, right? And you understand that His grace is not outpaced by His wrath, you put those together, then it affects the way you live and it affects the way you worship. I love this part of of the passage we read today. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Great fear. This young, little, brand new community, they grew in their fear of the Lord, but they did not grow in being afraid of the Lord, and there is a difference. There's a difference in good, proper, biblical fear of the Lord and just flat out being afraid of God. Okay? Proper fear does not come from being frightened or oppressed. It comes from a sense of awe and overwhelmingness. That's not a real word. I just made that up. An overwhelmingness it comes from the Gospel. It's born from the Gospel, right? That word, it actually means to have a profound respect and awe for God's deity. That's what that means. To have a fear of God. So our fear, if it comes from an oppressed posture, right, of what God might do to us or what He might not do to us or for us, that that is not proper fear, folks. It's not. If you're there, that's not proper fear of God. But if your fear, if it comes from an overwhelmed posture, not of what He might do or might not do, but what He has already done for you, and you were overwhelmed, that is the fear of the Lord. That is the fear of the Lord. And how you see God will inform how you worship and relate to God. Now that's an obvious statement, isn't it? I didn't even have to... I mean, you guys know this. If you're in this room, and cosmically, you're waiting for the boot to drop because you can't quit sinning. You can't quit doing that thing that you're trying not to do all the time. Right? If that's you and you're just worshiping God to appease him and avert his anger, so hopefully he doesn't blast you, if that's you for you, the gospel's not so good, is it? It's not so fun. It's not such a great story. This was me for a really long time. You see God as this referee, this boss, this principal, who just kind of walks around with a paddle, just waiting for you to pull an Ananias. And then whammo, he just nails you. And that's how it is. It's hard to worship a God like that though, isn't it? It's hard to be intoxicated with a a referee that's about to blow the whistle or a a principal that's, that's pulling out the paddle. It's hard to worship God, genuinely worship God when you're cowering in fear. Right? The Gospel application for you right now is that Jesus already received the fullness of punishment. He already did it, and He didn't do it because He was bad. He did it because He was you. He did it because He was me. It says in 2 Corinthians, Paul does this. He who had no sin became sin so that we might know the righteousness of God. That's where the big swap was made. So, Christianity is basically, it's it's worshiping Jesus because He's worthy from what He's already done. Not worthy because of what He might do or might not do. That's the wrong posture. That's not the fear of the Lord. Some of you think, might think that the only way that something good will happen to you is to be good and perform well and follow the rules, and then your worship will be informed by that as well, right? That will affect the way you look at God. This person, this was me also, by the way, this person has a hard time seeing past their needs, their desires, and their wants, always taking this personal little inventory of what they need and what they need to draw from God, right? Always hoarding always doing whatever it takes to get what they need. I need a wife, I need a husband, I need a career, I need to pass this test, I need to get this degree, whatever you need to do. So what do I need to do? I'm scared if I, if I quit showing up to community, I'm afraid if I quit worshiping God, then He won't give me. I'll never have. And so this personal inventory is always rolling. Also not good. Also not the fear of the Lord. Also not the way He wants to receive Worship. If that's you and you're striving to get blessed and prosper first and foremost above all other things, that's not even the gospel. That's not even Christ. This is important. Is this too hard? Is this too heavy? I could tell a joke, make some, <laughs> let you up for some. air. Got some application in the Amazon, okay? This is the application. I want to talk to some of you who are a little too big in your story, right? A little too big in your own little soap opera. I want to talk to some of you who are hurting. Really hurting. I want to talk to some of you who are lost. Very understanding of the fact that you are very far from God. And then I want to talk to some of you who are on God's mission. Right? Or, or attempting to be or in the practice of. Some of you need to know that Ananias and Sapphira were people who made the gospel take a back seat to their own image. It's not the money thing. It was an image thing for them. You need to remember that whenever you read that. It was not a money thing. It was an image thing for them. You know, God, if you, if you come floating in here flaunting your image, something like this, right? If you do that and start exaggerating and making yourself look big and trying to make yourself the center of the story, if you do that, God probably won't wax you. He probably won't kill you. Probably won't, right? But you're still dying inside, aren't you? There's still a death of sorts. And you know it's this is the true fact. This is 15 years of campus ministry and church planning will tell you this. People that do that, they become increasingly more and more irrelevant to the big picture, right? This is the interesting thing. Ananias drops, Sapphira drops, within three hours, they're both under shallow dirt just outside the city. No pomp, no flash, no big funeral. I mean, no, no week taken out where shops are shut down and everybody mourns and there's eulogies giving. None of that boom, they hit the ground, they're under the dirt. Wife comes in, boom, she hits the ground, she's under the dirt. They were very irrelevant after very little time. We can do the same thing. We can become that person. We can. In kingdom business, someone who becomes the center of their story starts to phase themselves out a little bit. That happened to me. I actually was in a very beautiful campus ministry. Started preaching the Gospel right? And his little campus ministry started from nothing. It started growing and growing and growing and growing. People are getting radically saved. I don't even know what I'm doing. I've never been to Bible college. I've only been a Christian for maybe less than a year, so I'm kind of freaking out. But don't think it wasn't going to my head. It's going to my head. Hey, I'm the deal. I'm the deal. I'm pretty, I'm pretty big deal. Listen to me preach. I'm, right? That was me. I was becoming that person. I watched how I, I started becoming more and more irrelevant to community. The people pouring into my life, the ones that are pastoring, coaching me, being good peers in my life, I was actually spinning my wheels because I was doing a lot of work and in the big picture I wasn't doing anything. Very irrelevant, right? If that's you, you need to repent tonight. You need to repent. That's that's what you have to do. If you're the Ananias and Sapphira, you need to repent. Some of you are hurting. Some of you have a very difficult time seeing God correctly. And instead of having a good fear, you're just afraid. Right? Not sure that you're praying right. Not sure that you're seeing God correctly. Not even sure you're saved. Anyone in that group? Right? Not sure that you're in a good place with God. Let me just tell you, He is huge, He's magnificent. He's out there. He's the king of kings. He's vaulted to grandeur. Yet, yet, at the same time, he's like a father, cuddling you as if you were his only child, looking at you with a deeper love that cannot be any deeper. God, if you're a Christian in this house, let me tell you, you cannot be more loved than you are this very moment. You cannot be more adored. You can check your performance at the door. It doesn't qualify you in his eyes. Right? It's not waiting for you to get it so he could love you more. If you're having a hard time, understand this. He's very intense, focused, and desirous to know you imperfectly. To know you as you pray imperfectly. To know you as you relate to Him imperfectly. As you live a life imperfectly, He's desirous of your imperfect life. He loves you. You need to know that. I don't know who hurt you. I don't know who abused you, who modeled authority poorly for you. I don't know who did that. I don't know what could make you look at God incorrectly. But He loves you. Let me tell you, God wants to be enjoyed. He doesn't want to be coward in front of. He wants to be respected and revered. But He wants to be enjoyed. He wants you to enjoy your walk. To love and have a joy in you when you approach Him. I want to talk to some of you who are lost you do have a, a good awareness. We pretend that this person doesn't exist, but they do. I was one. I would show up to campus ministries knowing that I wasn't saved. I just wasn't, man. I just, Either I wasn't sold on it yet, or I just wasn't ready to sell out to it. or Whatever you want to say. I just, it was. If that's you, God is in the rescuing business. He's pretty good at it because you're not. Because you stink at it. Because you've never been good at it. You've never been able to rescue yourself, and that's why you're so unhappy. Luke, I'm not unhappy. I've got a good... No, you are. You're unhappy. I mean, face it. It's just because it's happened so much, it's become your new normal, so it just doesn't feel like you're unhappy anymore. That's how far you are from true joy. But you do have an unhappy life. I can promise you that. The Gospel is good, and it's the fact that God came to earth to replace you in judgment. You deserved it. He took it. This is pretty thoughtful of Him because it was a debt we simply can't repay. Right? So the call for you is this. It's to turn and it's to repent from your sin and to follow Jesus Christ for the rest of your life. Not repent for one sin. Not repent from, I don't know, the sin that inconveniences you the most. The one that embarrasses you the most. But repent from being a sinner. Repent from all of sin in your life. From you being the center of your life. From you being the star of your own story from you being the means to your own end, for all of that, to repent and to turn towards Jesus. If you've grown up like me, looking at God's wrath on the cross, and thinking, whatever, no thanks. If that's you, consider the fact that that wrath was pointed at you. It's pointed at you. The love that you can't understand because you can't crawl up on that cross in His stead was exemplified by the King of Kings, the Son of Man. He did it for you. And He did it because He loves you. If that's you, you need to turn tonight. You need to get your life right tonight. Don't wait. Don't wait one day. Don't wait one week. I mean, when this is over, come talk to me. Come talk to Mike. Right? You can speak in code if you're embarrassed or whatever you want to do, but just don't walk out of here if that's you. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. I did it week after week, meeting after meeting. Don't wait one more day. Right? Some of you are on God's mission, and this is, I'm, I'm ending with this. Some of you might not fit in any of those categories. I've met a ton of people already being in here. I'm always impressed with this campus ministry. You've got like 38 interns. You know, you're just you're huge. You're cool. Some of you are really on God's mission. <clears throat> Let me tell you, just as an admonition, whenever you preach the Gospel don't just preach the love and forsake the justice. We do that sometimes, don't we? We forsake the judgment and the wrath and we just preach on the love and we kind of make excuses for God because we're a little embarrassed like he's our weird uncle or something like that. So almost like, yeah, I know it says that in the Bible. And that was kind of a weird stage. He's usually pretty funny, you know? (laughs) He's usually a pretty cool God. And we do that because we're so scared that as soon as we start talking about judgment, as soon as we start talking about wrath, they're going to quit picking up what we're putting down it's going to start driving a wedge in the relationship. That's not doing anyone any good. It's not doing anyone any good. If you minimize the judgment that was vented on that cross, if you minimize that, then it minimizes our sin that made it happen. A hey, small sin, small judgment, small Jesus. You pick. Right? You want a small Jesus? That's how it is. But Jesus is much bigger than that, isn't He? When you preach the Gospel, preach a massive Jesus. Preach a huge Jesus. A relentless Jesus, a passionate Jesus, an active Jesus, not some small B team, whatever, because your sin's not a big deal, so the price tag wasn't a big deal. Kind of a good teacher, hated that that happened to him. You know, don't do that. You're not doing anyone any favors. So, as you're on mission for God, preach a firm understanding of his love. Don't forsake a firm understanding. Of the justice that came and met it at the cross. Okay, does that make sense? Can I pray for him, Mike? Yes. Okay, all right. Father, I thank you for this, this group, Father, this room. God, I love what you're doing on the campus. I love what you're doing in this generation. I love this church. I, I just, I'm so excited just to just to see it with my own eyes. And God, I just pray that those who are in here that are really hurting. And they don't know how to come to you. They don't know how to pray. They don't know how I mean they, they just sit there forever just thinking the words are gonna come out, but they just don't do it because they don't even know how to address you and they're so scared they're gonna do it wrong that they just opt out. God, that you would come and you would carry them with your grace. Father, just as I look at my kids and I'm excited for them to talk to me, even though a lot of their words don't even make sense. Now, that is how, if, if I'm a bad dad and I'm excited about that, how much more excited, Father, are You just to hear our heart cry, even in imperfect words. Lord, I ask that You would pursue the hurting, that they would understand that they could speak to You, that they could have a fear of You without being afraid of You. And Lord, I ask that You would visit those who are far from You, that have looked at Your wrath and have not understood it and have stood afar away. Lord, I did that. I did not understand. I did not understand that as big as that wrath was, your love was right there in equal measure. That one was necessary and the other was beautiful. And I thank you for your love towards me. I thank you for rescuing me out of the sleeves. I didn't even want you, Father. I was running from you, and you grabbed me and you saved me. You rescued me. It was a true rescue. I had no part in it. And Lord, I ask that you would rescue some tonight. That You would rescue some tonight. Lord, I love You. I love Your good story. Your Gospel and Your legacy over our lives. In Your name we pray. Amen.